This episode of the Insurance Coffee House is sponsored by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies and brokers in the UK and across the United States. Visit insurance-search.co.uk for more details. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get the chance to meet and learn from some of the most successful insurance business leaders on the planet. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Sean Paul Ribillard, who is the president of MedPro Specialty in the United States. Now, to provide the listeners with some background, MedPro Specialty is a $600 million medical professional liability insurance business for institutional and individual healthcare providers in the US and across the world. That business, which is part of MedPro Group, a Berkshire Hathaway company, has grown profitably by more than 400% during Sean Paul's time as its leader. So firstly, John Paul, welcome to the show. It's great to have you join us today. If I could start by asking you to give the listeners a little bit more background and insight into the work you do there at MedPro Specialty. Sure. So I spent uh, 15 years on the brokerage side prior to joining MedPro in 2014. And since that time, have worked with a great group of people, as you said, to build uh, really, I think, what's become recognized as an ind- industry leading insurer. So we provide medical professional liability and related lines of coverage to institutional healthcare providers uh, in the United States and increasingly around the world. And we do that as part of the larger MedPro group, which insures basically every segment of the healthcare industry and is a Berkshire Hathaway company. Great. And before you joined MedPro, you had a distinguished career at Marsh as well. Maybe you can expand a little bit on your time there. Sure. During those 15 years, I uh, kind of had uh, two parallel careers uh, in in one. I spent half my time working with clients in the healthcare industry, ultimately as a client executive, uh, producing and managing relationships, and then uh, did sort of the all other, which was working with clients in other industry segments, uh, serving in a variety of management roles, and uh, engaging on uh, corporate projects, a lot of which had to do with uh, data and technology. And how did you find the transition going from a global business like Marsh with lots of different entities to a very specialist practice that you're running now? Yeah, a little bit different, I suppose, uh, on the surface, just really trading one set of challenges for another and trading one set of advantages to another. So uh, working at one of the leading global uh, insurance brokerages. I had a wealth of resources at my disposal and felt confident that I could meet any client's challenge uh, head on with that group of folks at my back. It's really not much different here at MedPro, where although we're much more focused both in terms of the client base we serve and the products and services that we deliver, I have a great team of people and within our industry niche, uh, really the best uh, set of resources at, at my disposal as well. So I guess I was spoiled in both instances. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you have been. John Paul, thank you so much for, for providing us with that 
background information, I think that'll be really useful for our listeners ahead of the, the main body of our questions today. Now we are in the insurance coffee house, so if I can just start off asking you, what is your coffee of choice of a day? Right. So I'm a pretty simple guy uh, sitting at home, as most of us are doing through this COVID-19 pandemic. I uh, brew up a pot of Trader Joe's medium roast Joe uh, coffee uh, every morning. <laughs> when I'm out in the real world, I really just take black coffee. Nothing fancy, no additives, and I'm relatively indifferent to the brand. <laughs> well, well, that's good. And you, you can't beat a black coffee. It certainly gets you going, that's for sure. That's for, for sure. sure. On that basis, John Paul, what do you do personally on a, on a daily basis that helps set you up for a successful day, barring the, the strong black coffee? <laughs> yeah, so after I have that, <laughs> it's really about prioritization. Uh, So I begin my day really prioritizing what I'm going to do that day in the context of this 24-hour period, but really also the week and the time frame beyond. And I guess I I kind of rely on the proverb out of uh, sight, out of mind to keep myself organized. So in other words, from a mechanical perspective, I keep written lists and those lists never leave my desktop or when I'm traveling don't leave my pocket or my notebook. And that's a way to, to make sure it's literally uh, in my face and hence uh, front of mind. Uh, similarly, from an electronic standpoint, with email being the primary uh, technology there, uh, if it's something that I need to focus on, it stays in my inbox or in my sent folder. And that is a clue to me that it requires my further follow-up or further action. Once I'm done with it, it's either deleted or filed away to make room for what I do need to work on. More substantively than that, you know, kind of how I go about prioritizing, try to think of it in terms of where can I make the biggest impact, either empowering people or achieving results. And secondly, which of those actions are either only able to be done or best done by me, as opposed to something that I can delegate or I'll leave to others. So I try to be mindful of how I prioritize. And then at the end of the day, try to make sure, A, that of course I haven't left any unfinished work to be done. And then I take a moment to reflect on, well, what is the schedule upcoming for the following day? and beyond to prepare myself uh, overnight, even if I'm not sitting at my desk, just sort of cogitating on on what lies ahead uh, and wake up in the morning and repeat. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. It sounds like you really focus on having that clarity of mind, your lists, but also once things have been done and completed, getting them off your desk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really about simplification. The world is complex enough. If you can boil it down to uh, simple tasks and and accomplish them, uh, that's great. My memory, of course, isn't what it used to be. And so if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist for me. So I'm sort of a constant scribbler of notes and uh, reminders. Used to live in a world of sticky notes. I think I've consolidated it down to a little notebook, you know, now so that it can uh, travel with me around the house these days or around the world (laughs) when when there's a larger world to operate in. So, really keeping it simple uh, and just getting to it. Great. Now, Jean Paul, we understand that in order to be a successful insurance business leader, there's often some adversity to overcome along the way. So, as well as asking you what, what's been your biggest achievement, can I also ask you 
what's been your largest setback and how you went about overcoming that? Sure. So let's do the biggest achievement because that's uh, maybe a simpler point. I think it has to be helping build MedPro specialty into the recognized industry leader that it is today. Uh, Over the past six years, building a great team of people that really blends the best of the colleagues that were there when I arrived and then hiring great new people and having them uh, work together, bringing an obsessive client focus to that team both external clients and internal clients, building key relationships out in the industry uh, and revisiting all of our products and services through the lens of that client focus. So team effort, proud to be part of that. So in terms of uh, setbacks to date, I guess I'm lucky in that I can't really point to a particular spectacular setback that my you know career uh, has suffered from, but I can think of a ton of smaller failures and missteps uh, along the way. And uh, I think the common theme throughout all of them is a failure to listen and to learn. Mm. Uh, so I suppose, like many leaders, I have the kind of personality that uh, leads to me tending to want to do the talking yeah. uh, rather than the listening. While your mouth is running, you can't learn. And so uh, I think uh, sometimes I almost literally have to bite my tongue, but being conscious of taking the time to listen, hear what other people have to say and learn from them. I already know exactly as much as I already know, but there's an infinite amount of knowledge to be gained if you can take the time to absorb it, whether it's reading or listening to other people. So uh, if if I could go back in time and, and pick some key moments of things to do differently, it almost always would have been don't say or do something. Take the time to stop and think and let others do some talking. Fantastic. And I'm glad that you've not had one of those huge, large setbacks that that people often have. But the ability to learn from your mistakes and those small mistakes, I think, is really, really important as well. Yeah, I think uh, self-reflection, self-criticism, not in an obsessive way, but, uh, you know, in a healthy, constructive way and being open to that criticism from others. If you can't learn from your mistakes, I mean, of course, you're going to be doomed to repeat them. Sure. And we know from most insurance professionals, they didn't necessarily choose to be an insurance underwriter or a broker when they were at school and, and they, they ended up falling into the industry. So how, how did you come into the industry and, and when was that light bulb moment where you realized you could be successful in the insurance industry? Right. So I guess I'm just like all those others that you talked about. I think not only did I fall into the industry I actually actively sought not to be part of the insurance industry (laughs) at the beginning of my career. My dad had been in the industry and uh, for reasons that actually had nothing to do with an insurance, uh, I thought, oh, maybe I don't want to go down that path. As it turns out, here I am and, and, and thrilled to be here. I think really five to 10 years into my career, I had learned enough and done enough at that point that I realized that I had a relatively unique set of skills and experiences that I had acquired that gave me an ability to be successful in the current role I was in, but also take that specialization I had acquired and deploy it on a broader platform, which for me took the form of working across 
clients in different industry segments, but also uh, stepping out of kind of the daily client service role as a broker uh, and taking on projects uh, within uh, my firm that it clicked on me, this notion that if you have something that you're truly expert at, you can use that as a focal point for your career, but also really a launching pad to do uh, much more than that. And of course, it takes a while for that. You, you, you don't come out of the womb an expert in anything. Uh, so you have to have to become that. And I've parlayed that really, you know, into that, that sort of realization, you know, into how I've developed my career. Yeah, that's excellent. I think being a expert in the field that you choose and then going on to use that knowledge, to use that experience in a much wider element sounds yeah. like um, you and I have discussed uh, before, you know, this idea of specialization and uh, you start a career as a generalist. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you move up a corporate ladder, for instance, you tend to also become more of a generalist, having to lead uh, multidisciplinary teams and think on a more strategic scale. And in the middle uh, of your career um, is where that specialization is is most important. I'm almost visualizing an hourglass. Yeah sort of shape to a career. And I've kind of, you know, moved through that narrow point of specialization and then continuing to broaden my uh, my outlook here. But I think in most industries, but probably true in insurance, the days when you could spend your entire career as a generalist are long gone. Uh, I think the world has moved past that. Uh, information is too ubiquitous. So everyone is a generalist uh, about everything right now. So to really uh, set yourself apart, uh, you do need to acquire uh, some unique skills, talents, experiences uh, to leverage moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I love that hourglass visual that you gave there. I think that's a really strong visual for how people can start out generalists, work out what their niche is, work out what their speciality is, really hone those skills, and then go back out into the broader a mix in leadership positions and, and adopt those skills accordingly. Great. So Jean-Paul, in terms of mentorship, have you have you had a mentor or an inspirational leader which you've learned from in your career? If I might cheat a little bit, Nick, I'll, I'll talk about two people. Yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> fine. No problem at all. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So uh, early in my career at Marsh, there was a, a senior leader uh, named Bruce Belzac, um, who encouraged me to take a position clear across the other side of the country as an opportunity to kickstart my career. And uh, taking that risk exposed me to a whole new set of colleagues uh, out on the West Coast. I had been on the East Coast. Uh, It was a new role. So, of course, that was a new set of experiences. It was a new client base. And it was also a new set of competitors that I uh, was up against. So, so uh, I basically multiplied my network among colleagues, customers, and competitors uh, that when I returned to the East Coast uh, some years later, uh, where I still am, I then had a, a national platform that I never would have had uh, had Bruce not encouraged me to, to spread my wings. I'm also blessed in my current role to have a, a fantastic boss, uh, the CEO of Medburg Group, a guy named Tim Kennessy, longtime CEO. And he's really empowered me and held me accountable. And those are really flip sides of the same coin. 
So, so Tim has empowered me with authority and the support to use that. And at the same time, holds me accountable at a corporate level uh, for the results, but also personally with a lot of constructive feedback along the way. And that's given me the confidence to make decisions, take ownership of them for good or for bad, and also contribute to the organization kind of beyond the narrow confines of my job description or day job, uh, if you will. And so knowing that I have someone at my back like that, yeah. Uh, who's okay with me making mistakes because at the end of the day, they're usually not fatal. Really is, uh, is impo- you know, I use the word empowering. There's no better word for it. It really mm. frees you up to take risks, to get creative, to have the confidence to move forward. If you're in a leadership, in a leadership position and don't have confidence in your ability to make decisions and live with the consequences, you're really in the wrong role. So having a a boss uh, and the leader of our whole organization who, you know, treats you that way, couldn't do what I do without him. John Paul, that that's absolutely fantastic. Please feel free to give two examples every time if they're, if they're great examples like that, (laughs) particularly like what, not only what you say about your, your current boss and the way he empowers you now, but also also, that time earlier in your career of expanding your network, expanding your your reach onto the to the West Coast, and being able to now have that national focus that actually a lot of lot of people don't have. And actually, particularly in Europe, we might be specialising in one country or one particular market, and we don't have a reach into other countries. So I think that's a really really great learning tool. Yeah, you mentioned the international aspect. Of course, I'm uh, U.S. centric, you know, being American and operating mostly in the U.S., but we do operate internationally. And in my brokerage days, I also uh, worked overseas with a number of uh, multinational clients as well. And so that same uh, network, in this case, working in the Bermuda and London uh, markets beyond the U.S. domestic market continues to pay dividends as well uh, here all these years later. Yeah, I can't claim that highly enough to get gain experience in different markets and especially great to have you coming over to London and and, and seeing how the London market operates. That's that's fantastic. Jean Paul, we've had a we've had a great look back at your career so far to date, but if I can get you now to have a look into your crystal ball and, and let us know really what, what you think is gonna happen to the insurance market over the next three to five years and what, what do you think insurance business leaders should be doing to adapt so they can continue to be successful. Right. So I don't think that uh, my crystal ball is any clearer than anyone else's. It's probably as murky or murkier, in fact. One thing that I do think about is how to get smarter, both as an individual and as an organization. And I think uh, artificial intelligence and big data has to be an absolutely crucial part of MedPro's uh, future and the insurance industry's future. We have to figure out how to work smarter and more efficiently, but just as importantly, enhance the customer experience. Yeah. So insurance, is, to one degree or another, is always at risk of commoditization, disintermediation. And so one way that you can differentiate yourself uh, from the competition is through the customer experience and making it a pleasure to do business uh, with your firm. And AI and, and data are, are going to be uh, a big part of that. So I'm not a tech guru. 
Uh, I never will be. Probably most other insurance leaders outside of the IT uh, space won't be either. But we have to understand at least the potential for how those new tools and techniques can be used and how we can deploy them within our organizations and be ready to make the investments, even if those investments don't pay off until you know, quite some time in the future. So I guess that's, you know, kind of going back to the crystal ball. I think if we stand any chance of having that crystal ball become clearer for us, it's going to be by gleaning all those insights that big data can give us that will challenge the assumptions that we all grew up with in the insurance industry, whether it's on the underwriting side, the claim side, or kind of the operational uh, side of things. So uh, we're going to have to get smarter and we're going to have to use technology to do that. Definitely. And I, a lot of insurance executives I speak to about the use of technology, the challenge that they face is about how they go about implementing that and whether they do that on their watch and whether they have that huge change and transformation program during their tenure or if they uh, if they let let that Leave, leave that for the next incumbent to that position. It's often a challenge. Sure. So that's not really much different than a lot of other challenges, which is you can, like you said, you can either tackle them yourself today or you can punt and leave those to others in the future. Maybe at the risk of sounding dramatic, if you think selfishly about whether the payoff for an investment is only going to be realized in a time frame where you can take the credit and reap the benefits. That's a fairly short-sighted way to manage a career. And it might work for a little while, but you can't play the short game for a long career and be successful. So I guess I would just encourage folks to think about the big picture and think in the long term. And over time, doing the right thing for the right reasons will pay off. Maybe not every single time for you, but in the long run, it will. Yeah, I, I think that's a, such a healthy attitude and mindset to have. And I think we can only encourage other executives to to think like that. I think that's brilliant. Jean-Paul, we're now going to move into to our next round of questions, the, the espresso round, short, sharp, and straight to the point. So can I ask you, Jean-Paul, are you ready for the espresso round? Geez, after a pot of Trader Joe's medium roast uh, blend, now I have to do some shots of espresso. Okay, bring it up. (laughs) Double shot as well. Double shot. The espresso round. Jean-Paul, what is your favorite success quote? Well, can can I quote myself? Of course you can. (laughs) So that's plan to be lucky. Uh, so, so I had a colleague point this out to me some years ago that he had heard me use that phrase multiple times in reference to my own career uh, and how things always seem to be uh, working out for me. It was kind of a flippant comment that I was making, but I've actually embraced it. And really what it means to me is that uh, luck by definition is random and beyond our control but you can prepare yourself to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. And you can be a voracious learner. Uh, You can build strong professional foundations, acquiring skills and experiences and networks position you. You can align your personal life by having your sort of 
family life, your personal financial life in order uh, so that you're in a position to take advantage of opportunities, also known as take advantage of risks when they come along. And so uh, I guess I unconsciously had encapsulated that as plan to be lucky, but I've, I've actually come to embrace that. That's a great, it's a great mantra. And I know we've dis- discussed it before, but I didn't, didn't realize it was your, your own personal quotes on, on the show notes. We'll have to put, put your copyright. <laughs> yeah, I actually, prior to this, this conversation went out and Googled it just to see, had I actually picked it up from somewhere else and just yeah. Didn't, wasn't attributing it in my memory. And I, my quick Google search didn't yield any results that I would have stumbled across over the years. So I guess I, I don't know, maybe I can trademark or copyright that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I actually think a mantra which is personal to you and actually something that you really try and live your life by and your, your career by is a lot better actually than just taking someone else's quote and trying to live your life to that. It's, it, it's about taking control of these things yourself. Right. Great. Jean-Paul, what is the number one thing you see holding back insurance professionals from being more successful? Yeah, I think it's uh, failing to think long term and failing to think of others. So earlier in your career, you have to realize that it's a marathon, not a sprint. So you need to pace yourself. Now, I'm not saying that means take it easy and go slow. I'm just saying that you've got to put in the hard work and uh, make the investments early that will pay dividends down the road. And it may not be that immediate reward, that immediate gratification. So if you, if you think that way, and then also realize that if you live your life or act in your career uh, selfishly, that is just thinking only of yourself you're not going to be successful in the end because, frankly, people won't want to work with you. Sure. So when I look back at, at my career, uh, you know, what paid off was always raising my hand and volunteering to do work, even if it was outside my, you know, quote, day job, uh, even if it was outside my, you know, narrow portfolio that I was going to be held accountable uh, and be responsible for, uh, exposed me to new people, new ideas, new knowledge. Now that I'm in a leadership uh, position and in leadership uh, positions that I had in the past, this notion of servant leadership, I think, is useful for people to be mindful of. When people ask me you know, what my job description is, I say it's really simple. It's to help others be more successful at their jobs. Yeah. And so if you approach, no matter what your role in an organization is, if you uh, think about helping others, it will in the end help you. Fantastic. Fantastic. And it links back really well to what you were saying about planning to be lucky. If you put yourself out there, you put your, raise your hand, you don't act in a selfish way, but always keep putting yourself out there for the team, Mm -hmm. for the business, things will come your way. Yeah. How do you drive forward the standards of the insurance industry at MedPro Specialty? Yeah, so I'm not sure what the, quote, standards of the insurance industry are, but I do know that our company uh, at MedPro we actually talk a lot about our corporate culture. It's embodied in four concepts, uh, uncompromising integrity, obsessive client focus, great teamwork, and a disciplined 100-year outlook. Heard me maybe not in exactly those words, but talk about those concepts throughout this conversation. And what I do to drive that forward at my own company is try to model the behaviors. So when you're a leader, 
people listen to what you say, that's true, but much more so they look at what you do. So if you don't actually live the words, you know, walk the walk, uh, in addition to talking the talk, you know, that that's not going to work in the long run. So I really just try to embody the values that we espouse. Great. And what, what does your company do to develop talent and maximize their chances of being successful insurance business leaders? Yeah, I think we we check uh, some but not all of the typical boxes, things like mentorship, leadership, coaching, investing in executive MBAs, those sorts of things. But I think what is uh, really great about what we do is uh, it's simple, hire good people and over-trust them. So that's not one of my original quotes. I'm paraphrasing somebody, I don't know, it's Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett or some, you know, some great mind like that. But Really, if you, if you hire good people and set them free to achieve their potential, nurture and support them along the way, don't penalize failure if it's failure that arose just after doing all the right things. As long as it's not an integrity violation, as we call it, uh, feel free to fail. So giving people practical experience in a supportive environment and allowing them to, to achieve their potential, what more could you ask for as an employee? And what more could you deliver as an employer? It's, it's so key to hire the right people at the right time. And if you get that correct, then you can empower them to, to be successful. If you if you hire the wrong people and trying to change them or try and mold them into something they're not going to be, then, then they're not they're not going to be successful. So it's such a key, right. key stage. And, and I also think the communication, we well, obviously when we're doing search assignments for our clients, I think it's very important that the communication there is exactly what, what is expected, what remit they have and and what they can do and, and flourish with. And if that doesn't work for either party, then you know they should walk away. But mm-hmm. having two parties actually moving in the same direction with the same goals is, is always going to be more powerful. But I think it needs to be really clear in that initial communication. Oh, absolutely. If you don't have the right people on your team and it's not a good cultural fit for everyone on that team, none of the rest matters. You just absolutely cannot be successful if you don't have the right people in the right places. I think some things that can help with that is rather than just having one or two people involved in that interview process or or hiring that particular candidate, actually getting seven or eight people and actually interviewing them as executive search recruiter we we try and interview ahead of the headhunt a whole series of executives who who are going to be stakeholders in the transaction to get a big picture so it's not just one person's view of of how they want that role to be or or a particular type of person but it's the board as a whole um, Absolutely. We take a, a similar approach when, when we're hiring, having you interview people outside the function uh, that you'll be operating in and two or even three layers above you know, the, the direct report that you yeah. might have and uh, getting that broader context, both for the employee or the potential employee, uh, but then also from uh, different folks in the organization has, I think, paid off in the end. We have really low attrition rates. I think it's because we invest so much time on the front end, making sure that we make the right hires to begin with. Yeah, so important. And our, our final question in the espresso round, Jean-Paul, 
if you woke up tomorrow morning with all of the knowledge and experience that, that you've gained over your career, but but your business wasn't there. Yeah, aside from picking up the phone and giving me a call, how would you go about rebuilding your career or, or setting up a new business? Yeah, so if the premise is that it's going to be a new insurance career as opposed to a new career in something else, I think I'd you know, refresh the inventory of my personal assets. So really just take stock of what I have to offer. Reach out to my network, uh, not being afraid to reach out for help. Uh, almost everyone not only is ready and willing to help, but is actually, you know, in, people enjoy helping others. And yeah. so reach out to the network and then look for the right fit. I suppose I might be you know, lucky in, in, in just where I am in life that I'd have the luxury of looking for the right job rather than the next job. Yeah. And uh, so I would look for a company with the right culture that's looking to grow profitably over the long term where I can make an impact. I guess that's what I would, I would do uh, tomorrow morning if I had to pick a new insurance career. That's it. Getting that right cultural fit, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Fantastic. And Finally, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners and how do they go about contacting you after the show? Sure. So uh, one piece of closing uh, advice, I guess, act with integrity at all times. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. And in terms of contacting me, uh, I guess you could always find me on LinkedIn. Thank you. That's great. Great piece of closing advice there. And, And thank you for sharing those contact details as well. We'll We'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile on our on our show notes. Uh, Jean Paul, thank you so much for your for your time today. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Okay, thank you, Nick, for having me. It was great. Absolute pleasure. And I'm sure all our listeners out there, whether they're in the United States, the UK, or across the world, I'm sure they've picked up lots of great insights and learnings that that they'll be able to take with them and, and use throughout their career. Our listeners out there, if you enjoyed the show today, please do leave us a review on iTunes or your podcast app and make sure that you download and subscribe to the show so that you receive each one of our episodes directly into your inbox each week. Until next time, I've been Nick Hoadley and this has been the Insurance Coffee House. Take care. You've been listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time to hear more insights and inspiring success stories to help you become a better insurance business leader. Available to download or subscribe now.